Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bundesliga show brought to you by Over the Bar. We're back as a trio, as a tripod tonight for the, uh, well, the, the match week review of uh, the Bundesliga match week 22. Uh, first of all, Mark, Peter, how are we both doing? Excellent, sir. Good to be here. Good to see you again. Been a long time. <laughs> welcome back yeah, from, yeah. From, from Dublin. As, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm back from my travels. Um, and my wallet is a lot lighter, so uh, <laughs> I shall be repenting for the next few weeks and, and doing doing the show and, and locking myself in just to watch lots of Bundesliga action. Um, so Lent yeah, of course, Lent is a good time to repent. Uh, that's <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> very true. Uh, I couldn't have picked a better time. Um, so yeah, another uh, match week has. Been and gone, so it's time uh, for us to to review. Uh, what what we're going to do is obviously we'll go through um, what were a lot of games that involved some of the sides of the wrong end of the table. Uh, so we shall be starting with those matches because they're very important matches and some uh, big wins for sides at the bottom end, as you can see on screen right now. Uh, thanks to Bully News for allowing us to use. Uh, the their league website as well, which is fantastic. Um, so I guess good place to start, gents. Uh, was the the Verda match? Uh, so Verda versus Balkan, three nil to Verda. Um, very comprehensive victory for for the home side. Um, and yes, kind of just summing up against the Balkan. Uh, incredibly strong at home, but they're not traveling so well at the moment. Um, Mark, what did you make of Balkan's efforts? Um, I mean, it's one win in 12 away games so far for for Balkan on, on the road. Um, that, that's the worst record in the division so far. Amazingly, even worse than Stuttgart's. Um, so not not ideal. And, and now with those results at the moment, it's all of a sudden looking not so friendly for Balkan that league table. Yeah, I think they just had an absolute nightmare on Saturday, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of their worst performances of the season. I, I was watching the game and I, I was just so surprised at how poor they were because obviously this was a winnable game at the end of the day. You know, Verder have been a little bit up and down since uh, the rubber under started. You know, overall, they've still been pretty good. They're a newly promoted side. You know, we don't expect them to win every game. But at the end of the day, this was a winnable game for Bolcom and they just didn't turn up for the game, really. I mean, on the highlights, I think it showed at the end, Antria J just kind of passing the ball out of play under no pressure. And that just summed up the away side's afternoon in this game. But I've got to say, again, I think Verde were really good. Full Krug looked back close to his best as well with a really good finish for the first goal. Good assist as well with the, uh, header, the header from Anthony Young. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was a really nice start to the game. And then they just kind of dominated after that, really. Obviously, another good assist from Anthony Young played through to Schmidt, who played it through for 2-0. And basically, I would go as far as saying that Bolcom gave up a 2-0, really. I think it was that bad from the away side. And I didn't expect that from Bolcom because we've spent a lot of the rubber under praising their performances, actually, especially mm, at yeah. home. But even the games away at Bayern Munich, I think they looked pretty solid and they didn't get battered. They didn't allow themselves to be beaten heavily. But this game was really disappointing. And as you can see from the table, they're now back into 17th place. But only They actually play Schalke at home next week, which is a huge game of football as well. They'd actually go bottom if they lose that game against the 
on form Schalke side you've got to say at the moment really and yeah. you know things are looking a little bit worrying for Lech and um, Bolcom at the minute a lot of poor performances as you see from Antria J who's been one of their best players this season he was really poor in the game I think Kunda's dive as well what was all that about at 2-0 mm -hmm. that was appalling really and I'm getting a little bit worried for Bolcom again because to be honest I think three games ago I was quite confident they'd stay up quite comfortably but right now after that performance I'm not so confident anymore yeah, will it will it be revenge for Rice next week? Obviously, going welcome. So yeah, even so many connotations for for that game. But obviously, we'll we'll come to that. Um, go, well, going forward when we review it next week, no doubt. Um, Peter, it was quite interesting from you know from a statistical point of view as well. I thought this game because obviously Balkum's xG was was very poor, like zero point six four, I think it was. Two shots on target throughout the match, which obviously demonstrates the fact that they were poor and they didn't really get out of Verder as much. But Verder as well only had an XG. And this, again, is not gospel XG. It's just obviously a, a stat that people would like to use. Um, and was only 0 0.89. So it just goes to show that maybe the home side were, were more clinical. And when you've got the likes of Fulkrug and Dusk from um, a lovely uh, free kick under the wall, uh, one of those classic ones that goes right underneath, um, it, it makes the difference. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting game on on many many different levels. I feel um, with Bochum, we have to talk about the absence uh, absentees, of course. Um, Captain uh, Anthony Losilla was not there. Mm -hmm. Daniel Suarez, the uh, the regular left back, was not there. And uh, <clears throat> Ivan Audits, the uh, Ukrainian uh, central defender, was not there as well. So what Bochum tried to do from a tactical perspective was uh, sort of a mirror of this uh, 3 5 two, uh, or 3 3 two, 2 if you prefer to call it that, um, uh, set of uh, tactics constellation that, uh, that Bremen ordinarily run. And the quality just simply wasn't there. I mean, it was a, it was a very poor game for uh, Erhan Masovic, uh, also for a uh, well, good old Greek name here, Konstantinos Lampropoulos, if I said that correctly. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and uh, it was it was by far Veada's uh, best game of the second phase of the uh, of the season here of the extended uh, Rückrunde. Uh, it's huge that Duksh uh, got a free kick goal because we were just talking about that last week. How their set pieces were just simply not up to to snuff. Um, it was an ex you know excellent game from Fulkrug uh, as usual, and uh, Jung with that assist uh, that was really amazing. He signed a contract uh, extension this week. It was good to see the veteran uh, get into the game positively. Uh, good game from Christian Gross, uh, the sweeper. Uh, also, Leonardo Bittencourt, who is ordinarily the buttressing attacker, and uh, but he was working out of the wingbacks. I mean, they have to have different guys fill in with uh, Mitchell Weiser out. So, real complete team performance from Bremen, I thought. Um, that was the best that I had seen the two buttressing attackers play. You have Nicolas Schmidt. Um, who I think last week I incorrectly referred to as Nicholas Schmid because I was thinking of Romano Schmid. You have to okay, <laughs> Romano Schmid and there's Nicholas Schmidt. Easily done. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and the Dane, uh, Jens Stage. Jens, all the world's a stage. Uh, I think this was his best game. Uh, of, that's, uh, that's how I remember how to pronounce his name because you would think it would be Staga, but no. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it is stage. So I, I thought he had his best game uh, in Nevada. It's a very good game from pretty much everyone involved there. Uh, Velkovic, Friedel, everybody was good. 
Uh, Bochum just, they didn't have the personnel and the tactic mirror didn't work. So I wouldn't give up on Bochum uh, necessarily just yet. I think that um, once they, they do get Anthony Lucida and Daniel Suarez and, and also Ivan Odds back in there, uh, they can stabilize things. You're right about that Schalke match, though, particularly after what we saw from Schalke this weekend. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, there would there would be no cause to fear Schalke uh, until what we saw this weekend. <laughs> so, cool. Huge match, and, uh, relegation six-pointer. A little bit early, but, but we got one. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's a nice little segue in, into the next game that we'll talk about. But um, Peter, just, just quickly, do you have the same the same fears that um, that Mark has that uh, you know that I would say I would have for Balkan as well? Um, particularly if you look at the goal difference and compare that to the likes of Hoffenheim, Stuttgart, Hertha, mm-hmm. um, even at, at Augsburg, if you consider them in the race, which mm-hmm. I guess you have to. Um, so th- that that could be something that's quite damaging later on in the season if they can't pick those goals against um, you know back up in in the games to come. Uh, it's an excellent point that you raise. Uh, I've been pretty big on Bochum. I have been since we did our first Rukunda preview show. Um, you know, I I do believe in them. I believed in in Thomas Lech's system. I liked you know how he brought uh, stability back into the ranks there. And got the particularly the central defense sorted out, um, but the goal differential is a huge uh, huge issue. And uh, what Lech has been doing is, you know, with some of these absences, okay, he's he's found himself prone to experimentation, but he's messing with the tactics too much. And this is what's uh, this is why the losses are piling up, and the 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 losses, particularly in terms of goal differential, are piling up. And I would probably. In, a, in an early tip, uh, pick Rice and, and his 4-2-3-1, imperfect as it may be, to, to beat uh, uh, Lech's, uh, whatever his tactics are going to be this coming weekend. And obviously a loss to Schalke would be devastating uh, mm-hmm. for their hopes of, of staying up. So, yeah, I mean, that's a real shame. We love the Vanovia Vorstadion. We love the atmosphere. We love the fans. We love Herbert Grönemeyer. And all of the things that that come with with Bochum, you know, I, I'll sing some Herbert Grönemeyer. You know, there's that wonderful song in which he just basically takes a huge dump over his hometown. Yeah, du bist keine Schönstadt. Niemand will dir besuchen. You know, all of this stuff, and then. And then <laughs> I think we yeah. just need Bolkin to stay up just for that yeah. effort. To be oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay, because I want to sing some more Herbert Gronemeyer on this. Uh... <laughs> it's not known to be the prettiest town, to be fair, though, Bolkin. Like, pretty much oh, everyone that told me it's about it. It is the ugly town, but it's a working class town. That's the point. <laughs> That's... Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yes. Um, so we shall sing ourselves uh, across to uh, the, the Schalke the Stuttgart match, which was a, a game that um, VFB fans might have approached with a, a sense of renewed optimism after a, a really fine performance at home. Uh, naturally, Stuttgart are, are a, a good enough side at home. Um, but they were met in the first half by a Schalke side who found their potency mark and um, scored two Really good goals to put themselves two 0 up at half time and made it too too much for my boys to claw it back. 
Yeah, I mean, I just thought they were superb, Schalke, especially in that first half. And as you mentioned, two goals that we didn't really think that this Schalke side was capable of, to be honest. The first one, obviously, that brilliant crossing from Frey, which was headed home easily, pretty much put on a play for him by Frey, wasn't it, really, uh, for Dominic Drexler. And then what a kind of back heel as well from uh, Bulta, Marius Bulta. It was an amazing goal. A little bit disappointing defending from Souza on the second goal, I've got to say, before the cross came in. But yeah, I think yeah. for me this game, it was more Schalke being good rather than Stuttgart being bad, to be honest. I've got to say, you know, it didn't look like a game that was two sides near the bottom to me. It looked like a pretty good quality game. The, obviously, the Stuttgart goal could should have been avoided by Farman. He made a pretty mm -hmm. poor mistake there. But let's be honest, he kept four clean sheets in a row before this game. So we've got to give him a little bit of credit. But I, I think that Schalke fully deserved the, the win. You know, if you look at the XG again, they got 1.26 to Stuttgart's 0.95. But I think, let's be honest, most of Stuttgart's XG came in that probably last 20 minutes, really, when Mavropanos fired just over. It looked as though it was going in that one when he smashed that one in from the edge of the area. But obviously, in the end, Schalke were hanging on a little bit, but it was a massive win. You could see from the celebrations from Thomas Rice how much that one meant as well. And as you can see from the table, it's now five games unbeaten for the Nordrhein-Westfaleners. And, you know, if they win next week, they could come off the bottom of the table, which would be a massive kind of, it's a massive carrot in the face of the Schalke team. And it's, you know, they could come off the bottom and, you know, if they win that game, they've got a chance of staying up for me, you know, because we see a lot of solidity. The likes of Yoshida is playing really well at the moment. I think he started the season really poorly after I tipped him to have a good year when he first signed for them. But he, since the rook runner, he's really improved, especially the last five, six games. And, you know, things are looking good for Schalke and Thomas Rice at the moment. And Stuttgart, I still think they'll stay up. After seeing them last week against Köln, I can't say they're going to go down because... They were absolutely brilliant in that game. But this game wasn't as good, but I didn't think they were poor as such. But Schalke is better than them in this game. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Uh, uh, in their 100th meeting between the two sides as well. Um, so it was a, a game to live up to the occasion, I think. Um, but Peter, I, I mean, as much as Schalke were good, uh, very good in the first half, Stuttgart, Stuttgart did come back into it in the second half. But damning statistic for Stuttgart and not one that VFB fans really enjoy hearing would be that Stuttgart have conceded 10 goals inside the opening 15 minutes of games so far this season. That's more than any other team. Um, and obviously, their away form is shocking as well. So they can't just keep on going 1-0 down all the time, especially so early on. Uh, I know, but I guess if you go down 1-0 early on, it gives you more time to come back, which Stuttgart have been capable of doing on a few occasions but they just keep on giving themselves mountains to climb really don't they yeah i mean what was so shocking about uh schalke uh, stuttgart was that i mean when you looked at the schalke team sheet i mean they were beset by injuries tim skaka and um yeah. soichiro kozuki weren't available on the flanks they also had lost um their two very good offensively minded left backs in yeri aronin the finn and uh thomas Wijan, the uh the dutchman so when you saw uh, Henning Matriciani starting there at left back, you were like, what the? No, <laughs> this isn't going to work. Um, <laughs> and it did. I mean, uh, Matriciani was was very much involved in that uh, <clears throat> in that opening goal. In the opening 10 minutes, it just shows you how soft the, uh, the Stuttgart defensive ranks can be. 
Um, you know, we, we've been talking about this a lot. We're talking about, you know, Valdemar Anton at, uh, at right back, and we're talking about this, this endo-Haraguchi axis and things like this. And we keep going back and forth between whether these are brilliant tactical moves or, or just, just dumb, you know, and, and that's, that's what Stuttgart is showing us. They're showing us this, this inconsistency, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's the curse of the uh, uh, sports commentator as they, well, as they call it on the broadcast, but you know, one week you're, you're praising Chris Furich and then the next week you're just like, why did I do that? <laughs> it's so awful. Well, you know? yeah, uh, uh, or one week you're saying Silas really looks like he's, he's, uh, he's coming back, he's rounding back into form and then he missed mm. that, that monster chance oh, yeah. uh, that really should have seen them equalize, <laughs> you know? So um, I see Balam has a question. He's asking, you know, who is bigger Stuttgart or Schalke? Schalke is by far... Yeah the much bigger club it's it's the more tradition-based club and you certainly uh, enjoyed those scenes uh, at the Veltins arena um, after they came away with that victory and they the Schalke players went to the fun kurva and were able to to take a bow and cheer along with the ultras and everything like that because that's only their third win this season mm. and uh it's incredible that they are suddenly now in the relegation race I think Entering, you know, uh, of the weekend, even at, you know, after these goalless draws, even uh, you thought to yourself, Schalke aren't in the relegation race; they're out of the relegation race because they're not, <laughs> they're not That's in contention for, for avoiding relegation. And now suddenly they are because those draws do add up, and, mm -hmm. and you can uh, come within points uh, of safety. I mean, the fact that they're within three points of the relegation playoff place. You know the way that they've played this season and the problems that they've had is is frankly sensational um i guess uh another little factoid that i would that i would throw out there for Balm since he asked i mean stuttgart and schalke basically have the same capacity stadiums they're both sixty thousand seaters uh and uh <laughs> actually herbert grönemeyer could write a song about both uh gelsenkirchen and stuttgart too these are not pretty towns yeah. <laughs> not, none of them are really yeah. uh, <laughs> i would say that yes you, you could write a ballad about how ugly all of these towns can be sometimes but the people in them are certainly not ugly and the football fans in them are, are certainly not ugly and you, you don't want to mm -hmm. see any one of those those sides, uh, either one of those sides relegated. Um, you want to see Hoffenheim relegated, but it's just not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, but that's a nice town after all, you yeah. <laughs> know. Well, it's, no, it's a nice it's, area anyway. Oh, nice well, the Rhein-Neckar region is a nice area, but there's nothing to do in Sinsheim besides, I mean, there's a museum. They have an aerial or a, um, what do you call it? A, a aircraft museum there. That yeah, I they do. Yeah. Right uh, next to the stadium, I think. Yeah. 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 I went to, and I saw a really bad IMAX film there one time, uh, but that's, <laughs> that's all I could figure out how to do in Sinsai. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Well, should, let's move on to our, uh, whilst we're uh, going slightly off piste, uh, <laughs> as, as we sometimes do. Uh, let's let's refocus and refocus our attentions to uh, to Berlin, to a snowy Berlin, um, which um, well, obviously the hosts Hertha were able to get a very important two 0 win over Augsburg. Um, and Jens, this this match, um, came, well, I say came to life, came uh, to a 
mediocre um, kind of level of action in the second half. I think the first half was quite tense. Um, not many clear-cut chances at the very least. And, um, well, the home side were able to get over the line with uh, a really clean strike by uh, Marco Richter, um, taking you know, advantage of um, a free kick that wasn't cleared properly and a really, really fine strike. And, and then the second goal, which came from another free kick on this occasion, a deeper one in the Augsburg defence, uh, went missing, allowing Dodi Lukabakio to slot home. Uh, and who was a, a real menace and presence uh, in that second half. Um, I don't know if either one of you wants to jump in on this one and, and see what you thought about um, his performance and, and Hertha just picking up enough to get those key three points. Um, Augsburg huffed and puffed, but didn't quite get over um, you know that, that goal threat, I guess. First, I have a question. Um, do you guys do the orange ball in the snow in, in England? or? Uh... Yeah. The, yeah, uh, we've got the orange ball. Yeah, oh, well, it's yeah, it's yellow, I believe, these days. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just curious. Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's interesting this uh, this new system that Sandro Schwartz has. We were talking about this last week as well. How he has this three-five-two, and uh, what he's been doing the last two weeks is he's put Marvin Plattenhardt and Marco Richter uh, back as like traditional wing backs. And they both performed very well, I think, in this new constellation. As a matter of fact, there was an article in the uh, in Sportbild about Hertha actually wanting maybe to extend with Marvin Plattenhardt after all. Uh, you know, it's kind of odd that Sandro Schwarz told uh, you know chose him to be the skipper, to be the uh, uh, the captain, uh, and then Freddie Bobic announced when Freddie Bobic was in in office that he wasn't going to resign him. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you were just thinking to yourself. You, you publicly embarrass your squad captain. Uh, if, you know, <laughs> this is a horrible idea. But Hertha have surprised us um, with a couple of results uh, in recent weeks. The win over Gladbach, which is uh, pretty pretty huge, and this win over Augsburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, the weather conditions played a big, big role, as did the yep. Augsburg mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Niklas Dorsch, who was filling in for Elvis Rexbegay, uh, he uh, did not have a good game in midfield. He made so many different errors. I mean, his his passing rate was was awful. Arnie Engels yeah. had a game that was finally befitting of his age. Uh, Renato Vega was filling in at center back for the injured uh, Felix Oduokai. And they just kept making mistakes after mistakes after mistakes. I mean, I, I when I was writing the column, um, I went a little bit on a deep dive into the statistics and the stray passes, uh, dribbling rates, uh, you know, all of this uh, dual rates and things like this. The the whole Augsburg team was was very very poor. You could see that Hatzer weren't that great either because they they a better team would have would have made them pay earlier sooner, um, and they didn't. Um, of course, also interesting about this match, Florian Niederlechner started. Yeah. Um, Despite the despite the fact that um, you know when they worked out his early transfer, he was supposed to join Hertha in the summer. But when they worked out his his early transfer, there was a a, a non compete clause uh, that they put in there, which is common in German football. I, I don't know you do that in England as well. Sometimes with loan deals, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, loan deals, yeah. I think. In yeah, yeah. Loan deals. Um, that they say, okay, if the player is going to play against his former team, it's going to cost you extra. Um, it was reported and confirmed that it cost Hatta 300,000 euros uh, <laughs> to start wow. Florian Niederlechner in there. And did he have a particularly good game? I don't think so. <laughs> I, mean, 
Mr. Sitter in the first five minutes. He should have been very, very generous to his old team. But to me, he looked nervous. Like I think we mentioned it before, Peter, that he's a Bavarian through and through. He almost looked guilty playing for the Berlin club against Bavarians, really, didn't he? Like I got that feeling, really, you know. But if you, I mean took to the pitch knowing that you cost your team an extra 300,000 euros. <laughs> I mean, how the hell can you focus <laughs> with that? I mean, you're thinking to yourself, hopefully I score a goal, but no goal is going to be worthwhile. Maybe in, in, in the relegation race, it can be worth 300,000 euros. But, um, you know, Luke, uh, Luca Bacchio, who's been surprisingly moved to the bench uh, recently, I would imagine that he probably starts from this point onward, uh, mm -hmm. particularly after he did that. So, uh, Luka Bakio either replaces Nida Lechner or Ngankamp in this 3-5-2. And, mm. uh, and, and Hertha could get some results. I didn't, yeah, I wrote about it in the column, do I think that they're going to pull a, a, away from the relegation fray? I don't think so. I still don't think that there's enough quality there. And they have problems in, in central defense. Good Lord, every freaking time. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Uh, in central defense, they're having some injuries too. Martin Dardai had to to pull out of this one. Yeah, um, he did. And uh, Augustine Vogel and uh, Philip Removich, they're they're just coming back from injuries too, so they're not 100% fit. Plattenhardt actually filled in in central defense towards the end of that game, and uh, you know, so they're going to continue to have defensive problems, unfortunately, and they're going to continue to have problems with the finishing quality up front. Uh, so that's that's what you're looking at there. I think they're going to factor into the relegation race till the very last day of the season, possibly take the playoff spot. That's my prediction. Yeah, I think we've got to mention that man, Marco Richter, as well. That's his third goal in just four games against his former club. He's also a Bavarian guy from the Augsburg area as well, I believe. And he's yeah. banged in three. He doesn't score that many, but that's his third goal in just four games since he joined them, I think, in January 2022. And also another, the, the fourth Bundesliga player who made a comeback from uh, testicular cancer this year. Yeah, he is. Yeah, um, yeah. Jean-Paul Boetius and uh, Timo Baumgarten. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people forgot that Michael Richter also got it in all around the same time as well, which is a little bit strange, wasn't it? But thankfully, they all recovered anyway. Comfortably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, maybe a bit of a... Bit of good fortune for Hertha with a with a snowstorm coming to help them uh, mm -hmm. in in the second half to, to push them um, up into 14th place in the the relative mm -hmm. safety of 14th place. But obviously, as you can see from the table, it is incredibly close. Um, and what what we'll do is now um, we've had a bit of a focus on on our kind of relegation race, so we'll do a bit of a, a split and talk about the Friday night game before we go up even further into the title race, which is obviously heating up even more. Um, and Friday night's game between Mainz and uh, Gladbach uh, was a 4-0 victory for the home side. And um, just very, very Gladbach, wasn't it? Um, only they seem to have the ability uh, to to lose to Hertha very comfortably um, a couple of weekends ago beat the champions and then subsequently straight after that get hammered again um mark but i don't i guess it's probably best not to focus on gladback uh but mainly give credit to minds who i thought were were fantastic in this match uh and really really looked the part and is such a hard team to beat at home as well 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's great to see the different styles that Mainz have as well. I mean, obviously, last week we saw them win that really kind of tight game at Leverkusen. They were probably a little bit lucky to win that game in truth, you know, but they showed a lot of kind of uh, grit and determination. But this week, they just completely outplayed the opposition, basically. I just thought they were brilliant from pretty much the first minute to the last. I would say Gladbach only had one major chance, and that was when Marcus Turan went one-on-one. And then Robin Sentner made that amazing save as well. So that everyone's just gritting in for this Mainz team at the minute. Uh, Adjorke has been an amazing signing for them. Obviously, he got the, the third goal. I think only his second goal for the team, but the difference he's made, you know, like the way he kind of holds the ball up and helps out the more tricky wide players. The mini-magician Lee getting his sixth goal of 2023. What an effort. I think me and Rory have mentioned him quite a lot, saying that we always thought he kind of underperformed a little bit for Mainz because he was really good for Holstein Kiel in this fighter league for a number of years. And he didn't really do that well for his first year at the club, but I just thought he was absolutely brilliant again. Excellent header. I mean, I think he's only about five foot six or something. He, he managed to leap up and head into the back of the net, which was a brilliant goal on there from him. Brilliant ball in from the wide. Then, obviously, that man, Marcus Ingvartsen, you know, he's not the most skillful player, but that's his eighth goal of the season so far. He got a goal from the rebound after a jockey had a shot well saved. Obviously, for Gladbach, it just didn't work out, did it at all? I think uh, they look aside. Even though they beat Bayern Munich last week, they were poor in this game. And to be honest, they've been poor quite a lot recently, you know, and I think the Bayern Munich win probably papered over the uh, the cracks for him and Daniel Farker, to be honest with you, because their performances aren't good enough at the minute. Elvedi was dreadful in this game, absolutely yeah. dreadful. He, yeah. he was at fault for the first goal and I think the third goal as well. And I just think, you know, Mainz are going places already. They score goals, they have great determination, they have a really, really good team. The likes of Anton Stach, Lee, Ajorke, and even Johnny Burkhardt doesn't even play anymore. You know, obviously he's, he's had an injury-ravaged season. He was their star player last season. But, you know, it's just credit to the job that uh, Bo Svensson's doing there at the club. Like, I think he's already, he was linked with the Brian and Hove Albion job, I think, earlier in the season. And to yeah, be honest with you, I think Mainz are going to have a real job on the hands to keep him at the club because he looks like another quality manager that Mainz have managed to get, obviously after Thomas Tuchel and the uh, Jurgen Klopp as well, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think even with that chance of what two 0 for Marcus Turan, where he controls um, controls the ball and goes through, uh, and obviously to have the shot that is saved by Zentner. Um, do we even think at two one that Gladbach are going to rouse themselves to to make a comeback? Um, I mean, it would be interesting to see, and I'll, I'll throw this over to you, Peter, as well, but Gladbach haven't recorded back-to-back wins yet in the Bundesliga. That just Well, I, I never <clears throat> found them particularly convincing. I mean, uh, when I was writing on Gladbach-Bayern, the tactical focus piece last week, I mean, for crying out loud, Dio uh, Upa Makano got sent off on a red in the eighth minute. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, this wasn't a, a real uh, giant-slaying performance. And Fox's uh, decision to stick with the same 11 with the 4-2-3-1 in Friday night's fixture was absolutely ludicrous. I mean, Stefan Leiner and Nico Avedi were terrible against Bayern. Uh, Alassane Play is not, he's not supposed to play lead striker. He's supposed to be out there on the wings, particularly to the left of Ram. Yep. You know, uh, and you can call me biased for whining about why Joe Scally didn't start because he's obviously a, a player that I track from my Americans column. But why the hell wasn't Scally starting? Why wasn't Taram starting? It, it, mm-hmm. it 
it made no sense. And, um, you know, with R R Gladbach, they're just, one really feels for their fans because their fans are great. They're passionate. Sometimes they cross a line here and there when they, you know, when they attacked uh, Max Eber, I think, you know, uh, for his burnout issues. But ever since Marco Rosa decided that he was going to step up, so to speak, to Dortmund, they've had a club that just has no more real European ambitions. It's just mid-table mediocrity all the time. And that's where they are now. Uh, they're not going to compete for Europe. They're not in the relegation race. They're just in this. And this is the third consecutive spring that Gladbach fans have to deal with this. <clears throat> and, you know, one really does feel with them because there's not, you know, Fark has even admitted we're not European contenders. We're not going there. Mites mm -hmm. are European contenders. Uh, we've talked about Ajorke so many times in this podcast, how important he is, what a vital sighting uh, he is in terms of the way he holds the ball up, in terms of how he, he draws coverage. Jason Lee uh, really pretty much owes everything to Ajorke, this new French signing who has made everything happen to him. And I appreciate Mark bringing up the height issue as well. <laughs> <laughs> he is a diminutive man. Uh, uh, we'll see. I, I saw that um, Balam wanted us to mention that Jurgen Klinsmann is now the, the South Korean uh, national team trainer. Uh, so we'll see what... <laughs> Maybe I don't want to talk about that so much because <laughs> <laughs> Klinsman has a has a well he's he's not the the not exactly doesn't enjoy favored uh, status uh, among German football fans after what happened with Hertha, um, but uh, yeah, Jason Lee has been fantastic in large part because of this uh, Ajorke signing. Onasiwo, our our friend Onasiwo, who we also can't stop talking about on this pod, was out uh, this time around, but Ingvatsen got a goal uh, because of it. Um, Zentner returned to the 11. Finn Dahman had been doing a good job, but Zentner came in. Svensson made the right call in bringing Zentner in, uh, and he made some excellent saves. Um, he brought Kaur back, uh, Dominic Kaur, Dominic Hardcore, into the <laughs> uh, and, um, and he, he kept out Sylvan Vidma. He kept out his captain because he liked the way that Danny DaCosta was playing, and Danny DaCosta played another uh, great game, the, 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 Frank, the Frankfurt uh, uh, cast-off. So yep. in, in my column, I, I, the hot tip for Mainz for me is that they are the the team to get that coveted, oh, that extra special coveted UEFA Europa Conference League playoff spot in seventh place. <laughs> very, <laughs> very prestigious. Yeah, very spot. prestigious. That's a, it's a wonderful honor. I wonder if it's, you know, an, uh, something that teams even want to play for. But <laughs> they would be my pick to finish in seventh. If they want to. Uh, <laughs> if, oh, and uh, one other thing about Bo Svensson. Um, you know, when he was appointed the trainer at Mainz, um, this was uh, uh, shortly afterwards, Thomas Tuchel was appointed the trainer of Chelsea. And uh, people could not stop calling every freaking podcast that I listened to, every uh, uh, English source that I would, uh, was reading. Everybody wanted to talk to Bo Svensson because uh, everybody wanted to know if Bo Svensson was going to take the same career trajectory that Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel did. And he might, you know. Of course, if Nagelsmann doesn't <clears throat> the league this year, then Thomas Tuchel is coming over to coach Bayern. But uh, <laughs> um, you probably, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Bo Svensson follow the path of Klopp and, and Tuchel, uh, you know, to the premiership. Um, that's just, that's how good a coach he is. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
We've scrolled up now to the top end of the table where we can obviously see mine settling in very nicely in very good form as well. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll kind of talk about the, the title race now uh, and the games that really impacted the top end of a very tight Bundesliga table. Uh, and we'll start off with the champions who um, looked very, very good. Uh, well, yeah, they look good uh, in, in the first half and look very dangerous. And Amedou Neon just camp in their own box uh, for a long, long period, um, eventually succumbing to a Chupo Motting header, uh, knocking it back from where where it's uh, where it came uh, after a Kingsley Command cross. Although I thought that um, the pass before it from Joshua Kimmich might have been intercepted, but Union were, of course, under a lot of pressure before that anyhow. Uh, and then a couple of quick goals before half-time. Uh, one for the birthday boy, Musiala, after being set up by uh, by the man in the vets that is there to replace, uh, Thomas Muller. Uh, Muller also assisted for Kingsley Coman's goal, uh, although Union was split apart there, um, playing slightly higher on that particular moment of the game, and it was 3-0. And after that, it was a pretty plain sailing uh, mark other than maybe a, a chance for Geraldo Becker in the second half. But Bayern looking rather uh, well, like they wanted to make a point on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it's just typical Bayern when they play teams at the top of the league, basically, isn't it? I think we always talk about their record against those kind of teams. Obviously, they only drew away from home against Union Berlin earlier in the season, but they made sure they wouldn't go, go away unbeaten in this one. And to me, though, for me, it was more of a case of Uniona just looking a little bit leggy at the minute. I think, obviously, they're playing Europa League now. They played the last two Thursday evenings and obviously a brilliant, a famous win over Ajax Amsterdam as well. You know, I mean, that it doesn't get better than that for Union Berlin to turn over one of the European giants on their own park. But the thing is to then go just three days later to the Allianz and get a result. It just proved a step too far for the uh, East uh, Berliners. I just think that they weren't terrible in the game. They did have a couple of chances through Lydini uh, early on in the game and also through Roussillon. But I think if one of those had gone in, they could have maybe competed a little bit better. But to be honest, as often teams do, once Tupo Motting got that opening goal, I think Union just kind of faded off, didn't they? I think maybe it was a lack of belief, but I also think it was uh, perhaps that they were just too tired, you know, because as we mentioned before, I think Union, they don't have the rotation that some other teams do. Uh, they tend to rotate the full-backs. I think Juranovic often is rotated in Roussillon, but they don't have, the likes of Kadira plays pretty much every game and Geraldo Becker plays, you know, 90, 95% of games from the start. And those kind of guys are going to start getting tired. That's the problem. Because you've got to remember, Union, they're still in the cup as well. So it's just too many games. Um, and I think that's going to be a problem for Union between now and the end of the season. And it's going to be hard for them to get Champions League. Like, I think we've always said that they're probably not title contenders. But I mean, Champions League will be the goal. But I think the issue for them, they might have to prioritise. And it looks as though they're prioritising Europa League to me, from what I can see. And obviously, they've got quite a favourable draw in that in the last 16 now against Union Galois of Belgium. So I think, you know, they've got a chance of making the last eight of that now after that famous win over Ajax. But in the league, it's going to be harder. I really do believe that. They were quite poor against Schalke last week as well. They didn't create anything really in that game. No. And let's be honest, they didn't create much here against uh, Bayern either. So, you know, two blanks that they've drawn in the last two Bundesliga games. And it's going to be hard for them to 
go go again next week. I think. Yeah, and there was um, there's more good news, Peter, as well for for Bayern seeing the return of Sadio Mane after 110 days out through injury, um, and looked looked pretty good. Tried to very selflessly um, set up Muller right at the end. Um, <laughs> somehow Muller not scoring where he hit the ball at Renault's head, um, which was a very fine save in the end. Um, but uh, yeah. I think a lot of positives to buy and to take uh, and confidence to take forward uh, in, into the weeks to come. I mean, it's, <clears throat> yeah, Mark summed it up. Unfortunately, it wasn't much of a football match. And um, mm. it was, it's kind of what we expect. Well, look, the Europa League schedule is uh, can be downright brutal and criminal at times. Um, you know, you really felt for Union because they had to play back-to-back midweek matches. Bayern had midweek off. Mm. And of, you know, fatigue played a great role. I mean, Oz Fischer's rotations are actually pretty decent. They are uh, pretty sensible because uh, he always sticks with that 3-5-2 double stack system. Uh, but, you know, you just had the feeling that, I mean, Union, are, they've never, they're not an explosive team. They're a grinded out team. And I still think that there's top four contenders. To answer the question I see from, from Ballum there, I think that um, this weekend, even though arithmetically, you know, they're only three points off the top, I, I, I think that this this you know this weekend probably was the end of the title hopes for both Union Berlin uh, and Eintracht Frankfurt, whom we can talk about uh, in a second. Uh, you know the the Leipzig game there. That's 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 the end for for Eintracht's title hopes as well. Mm. Um, we talked about it being a three horse race last week between um, uh, Dortmund, Bayern, and Leipzig. That's was more or less confirmed this weekend. Uh, probably mm-hmm. one of the reasons why we started off with the relegation race because that was a little bit in, more interesting uh, to discuss than than some of the things that happened in the title race this season, which were disappointment for the German fans. I mean, it's all good news for Bayern, really. I mean, that, that the system that that uh, Nagelsmann had there, where he um, he had it was a, a four-two-three-one, but it turned into a three-four-one-two uh, on the ball, and Thomas Müller was the second striker alongside Chupamoteng. He, he collected two assists, you know, uh, when this was still something kind of resembling a, a football match. So he's got Müller in form. He's got Sadio Mane coming back. He's got uh, some additional rest. He's already learned his lessons about some of the dumber rotations that he made, uh, you know, last week against Gladbach. Mm. So, yeah, it's all good news for Bayern, uh, unfortunately. Yes, uh, and uh, a certain Sud derby to come uh, does not fill me with tremendous amounts of confidence. Although, uh, interesting point from Balam in in the comments saying, does he maybe um, does he think that we reckon that Nagelsmann might rotate with Paris coming up um, with a trip to Paris next week? Um, possibly, and and Stuttgart got um, you know a half decent result against Bayern. In the, in the but who are you? He's so he's going to rotate in, uh, you know, what, uh, Leroy Sane, uh, uh and Serge Nabri. Gee, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> whatever. Well, we'll do. Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> Matthias Tell started, um, the reverse fixture earlier on yeah. this season, I believe, or, or, yeah, def- yeah. or definitely had a, a big part to play, but yeah, I, I mean, it, not well, none of it. That was before Chupo actually became the player that, yeah. that he is now. So yeah. he was having real problems with striker. And I mean, he's got Chupo now. He's got Müller who can serve up alongside him. 
he can play Mane on the wings, you know, when he feels that Mane's ready to start. Uh, mm-hmm. And Kalan can play on either flank. So, I mean, yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, and shout-out to Thomas Muller as well, going ahead of Oliver Kahn in terms of Bundesliga. Uh, sorry, I think in overall appearances for for the legendary um, German champion. So... Never, ever, ever count out Thomas Muller. Don't just Never. stop doing it. Stop <laughs> saying, oh, he's finally passed his prime. and Just stop doing it. It's He will always... <laughs> Prove you wrong, always. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we'll move on to Dortmund's game in a second. What one quick question? I just want to come to from Dan. Bit of a um, a teaser. This one, so let's put it up on the screen. Um, if you had to be a season ticket holder at one of RB Leipzig or Hoffenheim or give up football, what would you choose? Um, I mean, I know what I would choose, but I'm not thrown in deep history of, of Bundesliga football or German culture. So I'll throw this over to Mark first and then you, Peter, to, to follow up. Oh, it's a hard one, but I'm going to go for the Rasen ball by our guys. Yeah, I'm going to go for RB Leipzig. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I just think, I know a lot of German people don't like them, but for me, I just like the project. I, I think maybe it's because obviously, I, you know, coming from England, we don't really care that much about money, so to speak, in football clubs. Like, And I think I do like the project, how they kind of sign young players and try to build them up and things like that. And I've always been attracted to the way they, they play good football as well. And the fact that they've kind of become genuine title challenges to Bayern Munich, who, in my view, have dominated the league for too long, I, I will be honest. Hoffenheim just do nothing for me, really. I'm going to be honest. I think even the fans, like RB Leipzig, they set, almost sell out every game to, like, 90% full, roughly. Okay, maybe some of the less attractive games only get maybe 80%. But if you look at Hoffenheim Stadium at the minute, I think there's more away fans than home fans at a lot of games, to be honest. So, like, it just seems as though their fans have literally given up on football, apart from a small bank of ultras in front of the goal at the moment. That's all you can really see from the Hoffenheim fans. But for me, I'm going to choose RB Leipzig. Yeah. Peter, would you give up football entirely? I, well, that's a hell of a hypothetical. Uh, as I was <laughs> thinking about it, I can't give up football entirely, period. I mean, that's not an option for me ever. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I agree. Go to church instead. I'm not. <laughs> football is my church. So, um, yeah, I would go with uh, with Abe. Um, you know, as, as, as we talked about several times, uh, Leipzig are not as universally hated as Hoffenheim um, because Germans were we were happy that the East was getting some representation, Mm. Uh, but they they've become much, much, much more hated once again, after the rise of FC Union Berlin, because that's another Eastern club. And now we figure the East has real representation, but I credit the like Leipzig ultras with what they're trying to do um, with their cheering, with their support, with their banners, like to see more choreo, um, you know, from them um, a little bit more creativity from them. But um, you know they they do they do their bit they try to make a nice atmosphere in the stadium it's not the worst feeling in the world to go to a to a leipzig match uh you know so i i i credit with the way that they're trying and they're growing and and maybe eventually we can we can consider leipzig you know company teams like uh, uh, uh like uh, wolfsburg or leverkusen uh, even though it's a foreign company and uh I, I'm still not considering Hoffenheim a company team because, as Mark pointed out earlier, um, 
SAP software is a pain in the ass. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we had a comment about that earlier on, actually. Um, I, I'd have to go back and find it uh, about <laughs> some, yeah. someone using it in their old work. Um, so yeah, uh, man, they did not like yet, it. So, uh, yeah, it's a go. good yeah, one. Man, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, don't blame you whatsoever. Um, right then, so Dortmund won, Hoffenheim nil. Um, possibly a match that or a scoreline that not many people were anticipating. I think a lot of people thought that Dortmund would maybe win by a few more, considering how poor Hoffenheim currently are. I'm sure a lot of people, as we've just spoken about, would have wanted it to be a bigger scoreline. But despite the fact it was 1-0, Mark, I think there was plenty of chances at both ends, actually, for this game, and maybe it wasn't as possibly dull if you can call it that uh, just by watching or just by seeing the scoreline um in as much as Dortmund did have to ride their luck though um a couple of very big chances that Hoffenheim somehow did not put away yeah I think obviously early on it was an absolute sitter miss by Kabak in the end wasn't it I mean it was an amazing save initially by probably the best goalkeeper in the Bundesliga at the moment Kobel he made a really good save, but then Kabak has to be putting away that rebound, really. And he ended up like heading it over from pretty much an empty net, basically. But then Dortmund went on to dominate the, the rest of the first half. And it was basically Allaire versus Baumann in the uh, in the Hoffenheim net for a while. I think he made about three saves from the big forward uh, in the space of about 10, 15 minutes. Then obviously Schlotterbeck had one well saved as well. And it eventually, in the end, it was that man, the man of the moment, wasn't it? Julian Brandt, who got probably one of the, the strangest goals you're going to see this season. It kind of went in off his back, really, from the Lovely Michael Royce free yeah. kick, didn't it? But <laughs> that just sums up what's happening for the for the winger at the moment. Like, everything's going right for him, isn't it? And, you know, this wasn't one of his better goals that we've seen in recent weeks, but it was another important strike from him. I think that's his eighth goal of the season now. Most of them have come in 2023 as well. It's been a superb run for the wide player. But yeah, I mean, the second half, obviously, Kramerich uh, missed a few chances, didn't he, in, in that second half? And I, the, it was a decent performance from Hoffenheim. I think it gives uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo a little bit of uh, encouragement going into the next uh, few games, although they do have a, another couple of difficult fixtures away at Mainz and Freiburg uh, coming up next. But I, I just think, you know, they, they weren't amazingly good, Hoffenheim, but it was a case of probably Dortmund you know, weren't the most uh, clinical best. You know, Allaire, as I say, missed a few chances. He, he missed a hatful of chances, basically, let's be honest. A lot of that was down to Baumann's good goalkeeping as well. I've got to say, he had a really good game. But as you mentioned, Hoffenheim could have got a point in the end, although it probably wouldn't have been deserved overall, I wouldn't say. Um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. You were saying something? No, no, I was just saying that both, both Kobel and, and Bauman were, were both um, yeah. in inspired form because, of course, Bauman kept Kobel out of, of the team at Hoffenheim for a long while. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it was, uh, uh, yeah, an encouraging game for but Mark said all there is to say about that, really, and, and including the Julian Brunt finish off of his back. I mean, <laughs> that was when, when things are going your way, they're going your way. So uh, Julian Brunt is, is leading the Dortmund team now. We talked about how how this is the, the a different Dortmund. Everybody in the Bundesliga Republic is very very excited about this. Um, that is their ninth consecutive victory, um, the first time they've ever started off a calendar year with nine consecutive victories. The uh, the goals and the assists are all spread out throughout the team. It's beautiful. 
they have, you know, uh, if they really, they have a good coach, they have excellent tactics. Um, I would say that, you know, Hoffenheim generated some chances here, but Dortmund had far, far more quality chances. I mean, they, they looked, this was a most deserved win. And, uh, well, I hope, I hope they beat Leipzig on Friday. That's, that's, we really need them to. That's a huge match. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Dortmund's form uh, is, well, they're the only team in, Euro in Europe's top 10 leagues, um, mm. depending on how you classify Europe's top 10 leagues, uh, with a 100% record in 2023. Um, and slight contrast to Hoffenheim, who have picked up one point from 10 games um, against teams in the top half of the Bundesliga table this season. So, struggling somewhat well struggling against anyone that they play really um so yeah Dortmund uh, uh staying staying well in the in the title race and, and looking good ahead of that massive massive game on Friday night um which very much looking forward to watching uh and speaking of the team that they are going to play uh Leipzig as we say, confirmed their um, status, their intentions uh, to also be in this title race uh, with a, a, an impressive 2-1 win over Frankfurt. Uh, and they came out of the blocks really, really fast um, off the back of a, you know, a, good, a good result um, against Manchester City in, in the Champions League. And Timo Werner and Emil Forsberg just... We're just being kind to each other. Um, but although the first goal comes from a very, very poor mistake from Tuta trying to control uh, a ball out of the air, um, naturally players with high skill would expect themselves to do that, gents. But do we think in the first instance, five minutes into the match, you're just looking at that ball coming out of the sky and you're thinking, should I maybe volley that clear or try and bring it down with one touch? And Forsberg, of course, steals in, knocks in his mate Werner, who almost falls over and messes up the chance. But um, yeah, it was uh, an unfortunate moment for for the centre back, which got Leipzig onto the front foot straight away, didn't it? Yeah, it's got to be a Steve Bruce style into the stands for me. That one, you can't be taking chances after just five minutes of the game. It's just Tuta. I do like him as a defender, but it's not the first yeah. time he's made a big mistake in a key moment. I think he did it, a very similar kind of mistake in the Europa League final last year, actually, if I remember yeah. rightly. And I think he, he is a good defender who's improving season to season, but this was a poor mistake from him. Obviously, a lot of luck on the finish as well from Werner. He kind of, he almost slipped over and it kind of somehow bundled into the net. I think it was a bit of a relief for Timo Werner, that one, because mm -hmm. definitely wasn't one of his cleaner finishes from his... The older days, are obviously, RB Leipzig in his first stint when he pretty much finished everything when he went one-on-one, -on -one, didn't he? But from then on, it was a really good first half from RB Leipzig. The second goal was a really nice move, which was finished by Emil Forsberg. And I just saw the Frankfurt look flat, to be honest. It was a big game. They knew they had to win this game if they wanted to stay in the, the title race for me. And it's just summed up the, pretty much the rook runder for them. I think both me and Peter, we both tipped them to have a big rook runder. And they were absolutely schooled by Napoli in midweek as well. Like That was a complete yeah, demolition that, job, basically. Was, it really was. was. Like, it was men against boys, that really, let's be honest. And to be honest, the first half in this game was similar. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Frankfurt, they came back into it well in the second half. And they had a... Obviously, a decent goal through Sal, but there just wasn't enough in it, really, for them. They didn't push hard enough for that equaliser. And 
let's be honest, their season is starting to look... A, I'm not saying it's going to be a bad season because they'll still get Europa League and they'll still, they've still got through the Champions League group, but it's not looking as good as it did, let's be honest, for Frankfurt. And, you know, Oliver Glasner has maybe been rotating a little bit too, uh, too little at times and maybe his team is getting a bit leggy as well. We've already mentioned Jesper Lindstrom. You know, he's not been looking very good at all recently and I'm a little bit worried for them at the minute because they're not looking very good at... Kola Moani is still looking good, but the rest of the team is just looking flat and maybe a bit leggy at the moment as well. Well, this was the tactical focus piece of my weekly column, which means that I had to write a second by second report on this. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, in addition to watching every second of it and taking detailed notes, I just, it ripped my heart straight out of my chest. <laughs> this one. I mean, Le Leipzig slaughtered Frankfurt. I don't, you know, uh, Emil Forsberg said, well, the second half was different. Not really. I mean, uh, Frankfurt, they came out, they, they had some better play, but this was just a thoroughly dominant performance. Leipzig came out of this. They came storming out of the gate. I hardly blame Tuta for making that mistake because they were just being punished so severely. They were rattled. They couldn't find their feet at all. Um, the big problem for Frankfurt was, of course, that Mario Goetze wasn't available on short notice. He was not underneath Kolomuani. Kamada couldn't quite make it work. Lindstrom supplied some wonderful dribbles. You know, he got behind the, the uh, uh, Leipzig defense and he was doing all this fancy stuff in the box, but he couldn't find the final ball or he, he couldn't locate Trollomani. Yeah, I mean, basically what happened in this one was that, and this is more good news for Bayern, unfortunately, Konrad Leimer came out like a man possessed. And <clears throat> it was Konrad Leimer who really got <clears throat> the, the Leipzig charge rolling. And uh, yeah, they, they so the future Bayern player just went ahead and schooled, you know, the, 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 the club that I really hoped was going to contend for the title this year. Um, and so it's, yeah, it was just bad, bad, painful thing for German football fans to watch. Um, and uh, yeah, if, if they had had Goetze, maybe it would have been a different story. But uh, they didn't, and uh, Connie Leimer and and uh, Timo Werner and Emil Forsberg, and uh, they just came out and they they took it straight to him, and and it was, you know, I mean there was a slight comeback from Frankfurt in the second half, but the last twenty minutes, <clears throat> when Frankfurt had a chance to equalize, it was all Leipzig. It was mm -hmm. Leipzig coming closer to the three-one. So the last twenty minutes weren't even competitive at all, and uh, yeah, fatigue plays a role. Rotating too little plays a role. Tuta Knauf um, had a nightmare match uh, on that right-hand uh, side, the, the Leipzig left. And, yeah, wow. What else can one say? It just makes one sad. <laughs> right. Um, and, and on that um, on that note, well, we don't want to finish on a sad note, but... Um, you, want to, you want to very quickly answer the, the question about Kern? Um, speaking of sad... Uh, yes, yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, that's from yeah. Herodotus. <clears throat> right, that's the only match that we didn't cover. Um, this is, uh, Kern have, um, they've scored, uh, what was, I was writing this in the column, uh, Elias Skiri has scored like five of their seven goals or something this season, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, and uh, they have, uh, you know, uh, they were missing Florian Kainz in this one. This is a horrible match for because the choreo inside the Rhein Energy Stadion was beautiful. They were celebrating oh, the was good, yeah. and everything. And this was in front of the hometown fans. 
and they were just so one-dimensional. I think they sent in like 30 crosses on both sides, and Stefan Tigas and Davy Selka were nowhere near any of them. So the the problem is is that um, you know it's they just don't have the quality, and we've talked about that before. And you should really be concerned about Kern because they need goals from somebody other than Skiri. And that's all I'll say about that so that we don't run too much uh, too much over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and maybe just a, um, a mention to Vincenzo Grifo's uh, lovely free kick as well, which sorry, probably the, the second game that we didn't cover uh, in, in the 1-1 one, one, um, draw with uh, Leverkusen. So, yeah, I think that will bring the show to a close tonight, but fantastic to go through. Another really interesting match week of the Bundesliga. Um, looking ahead, it, it looks like a fascinating match week 23, which obviously starts on Friday night with that massive game. Dortmund versus Leipzig, definitely one to tune into if you can do. Uh, and so all there really is to say is thank you all for watching and tuning in for your comments. Make sure you smash a like on the video. Make sure you press red red button and subscribe to the channel uh and i shall gladly hand over to mark to bring things to a close yeah absolutely so if you enjoyed what you saw tonight then remember check out our twitter at over the bar fb and at over the bar extra also check out our main site which is otbfootball.net so as i mentioned before we have just about everything football related on there we're not only a bundesliga channel so, yeah, check out some of our written articles on there as well. The guys do a really good job maintaining that. And then, yeah, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on our YouTube as well. Yeah, remember also to leave your comments as well because we want to keep interacting with you guys. We've had another good night of interaction tonight. So thanks a lot to Mark, Paul, uh, Dan, and obviously Balam. Um, yeah, for, for the interesting comments as well, which really helped the show. And thanks again to Peter for joining us. Um, yeah, we look forward to the next time. So, yeah, thanks a lot, guys, and we'll see you all next time. Ciao.